the whole gang went. So I had two 14-year-olds and two 11-year-olds and they had their chins right on the edge of the stage. And it was really, really sweet. Although slightly restrictive view because of the pillar. But it was when went to see um, the Sunday matinee of The Tempest at the Globe. Mm-hmm. And they have, with, without wanting to give too much away, they had these vast... Uh, yellow plastic vats that get used in all sorts of fantastic ways. I mean, I thought actually the set and the props were genius and fitted the whole style of the show in the most beautiful sort of relaxed way. I I, I just loved it on so many levels. But there was this moment when um, one of these... Uh, large yellow vats got moved right to the edge of the stage and these four little faces then just got just covered. Just <laughs> vanished. I was, like, I, was, I was right the other side of the stage at this point because I sort of got manoeuvred with the sort of natural wave of movement of the yard crowd. But they, the four of them stuck to this spot and then to this large yellow vat just, and I, oh, that's not going to work. And then very, very lovingly, Ralph Davis, who was playing Trinkolo, um, sort of came and very sweetly sort of slid it <laughs> to the front of the stage. I don't know if he was doing it on purpose, but I thought, oh, thank you, Ralph. Um, and he, uh, you know, and revealed the four faces again so they could carry on watching it. But it was really sweet. Did they Did they enjoy it? Did they like it? They loved the it. I think I tried to explain it to them, but I think sometimes when you try to describe any kind of theatrical plot, particularly at speed in the last half an hour as you get into the theatre. So this happens and this character is this happening and they go to this island and, uh, you know, and and actually they did get quite a lot of it, but they were, initially there was a sort of, no, didn't understand it. And then you start to sort of talk to them about it and they go, oh yeah, that was that character and he did that. And oh yeah, yeah, no, that was really, really good. But what I loved about it was the uh, irreverence you know, even though I thought that the speaking was beautiful and everybody was so completely on it and, you know, had extraordinary vocal power and precision and all the rest of it. But they were also, they knew that space and yeah. they've been living in it since March and the, the sort of the joy and the play and and, and it was just great. I, I Yeah. It's anyway. so interesting, The Globe, because I know that you really like it and you, you kind of... Yeah, we've often talked about how much you like that space. I, on the other hand, always have a slight allergy to it the time when my heart sinks. And I don't know if it's because I very rarely do stand. I think perhaps it's different if you stand in the pit and and you have that sense of, you know, all being part of it. I went to see Much Ado About Nothing recently um, and it had a brilliant bit with um, Dogbury coming into the pit with a bicycle and quite, um, quite sustained sort of slapstick comedy of trying to get people to move. And they didn't really, and they sort of, unusually for a global audience actually, didn't really know what was being asked of them so he could get really kind of grumpy right. and um, busybody-ish before he'd even got on the stage and that yeah. worked brilliantly and I think and I thought well yeah this is really nice but I actually I, I think it's also I do like a matinee at the Globe yeah, I think it's, yeah. it really works if you've got the sun and you can see everything that's going around you somehow but also they I mean because they you know obviously there's a style to it maybe not every production can sustain it but particularly with a comedy they can use the sort of the craziness of the london skyline you know with the helicopters and car alarms yeah, yeah. and everything going off to their advantage and there was one point where the helicopter was sort of buzzing over the top and all the people who had just come out of the shipwreck were like help 
help, help. <laughs> and, you get, and then they just carried yeah. on from where yeah. they left off and it was beautiful. And then just before the interval, the Caliban got the whole audience singing a song. And I just, you know, particularly for kids, you know, because you, you're always aware as a parent going to the theatre, you know, what they're interested in and what grips them. Yeah. You're constantly wanting to take the sting out of anything that appears to be beyond their you know, language capacity. Like, no, 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 it's brilliant. And so when they do enjoy it and they do yeah. get it and they, they have happily sat through a production, like I've said previously with Artie sitting through All's Well That Ends Well at Stratford, you're like, oh, God, this is fantastic. Because yeah. hopefully, with any luck, God willing, that will be a formative yeah. experience. Yeah. We thought we'd talk um, this week on this week's episode of As the Actress Says to the Critic about um, the Shakespeare plays that get played and the Shakespeare plays that don't get played because we both seem to have been watching quite a lot of much ado's recently. Yeah. Um, but um, so that's Let Me Say Hello, which is hello from me, Sarah Crompton, and I'm the critic. Hello from me, I'm Nancy Carroll, I'm the actress. Yeah, the thing about the Globe, um, I also think, is that when I watch the much ado, yeah. interestingly, yeah. Um, I noticed that there was a little girl, I noticed quite early on because she was sitting next to this quite nice fountain they have. It's Lucy Bailey's production. And yeah. it was she's, the set's lovely and full of grass and there's a fountain and you feel that you're in a beautiful place in Italy and it's kind of um, countryside and lovely and um, nice for the soldiers coming home from war. And um, the... Um, there was one little girl who was watching and she was really intent in the first half. And of course, there's all that brilliant slapstick where yeah, you know, yeah. Benedict and Beatrice are being set up to fall in love with each other. And then in the second half, when um, Claudio rejects um, Hero, she actually burst into tears. <gasps> and I thought, oh my goodness, that's so interesting because yeah. I sit there sometimes with much do. And I think, oh, here we go again. You know? yes. And you, tick, I, you kind of mentally tick the scenes off in your head almost. And yet then there she was, this small child, completely engrossed and completely sort of believing of it in a sense. Yeah. But that's what's so lovely. I think that, you know, that, that ultimately there are elements of a lot of his stories that we forget because, you know, we the scenes have the familiar titles that we were, you know, like... Um, Malvolio scenes yeah. in Twelfth Night, and you know the the, the cross gartering, yeah, the cross gartering, the violin letter scene, or whatever. Yeah. They become so familiar to us that we can't imagine what it would be like to to hear those anew, yeah, in a way, and yeah. that ultimately you forget that he was a popular writer and yeah. he was writing for audiences and writing fast and, you know, producing plays that wanted to be seen. I mean, in things like, you know, the success of Macbeth and the, the reason that we, we do the thing of spinning three times and then spitting and then asking to come in again or whatever it is that we're supposed to do. Is that what you're meant to do if you're acting <laughs> in Macbeth? It's always slightly different. It, what are you some meant to people, do, tell me? Okay, so you're not supposed to say Macbeth in a theatre. No. Um, you refer to it as the Scottish play. I think the legend is, as I know it in my probably simplistic, slightly ignorant way, is that because it meant that, and forgive me if this is wrong, um, if you mentioned Macbeth, it, it was always the play that got put on if the play that you were in wasn't doing well. Oh, really? So if yours was whipped <laughs> off, they'd always put Macca's on because it was bloody and gory and fast and everybody knew Loved it and it was it. Yeah, always yeah. a surefire hit. Now, 
if you say it and if you're with somebody old school, they're like, oh, how very dare you. You must leave the room, turn around three times, spit and then knock on the door and ask to come back in again. But I can't, I may be wrong. I may be. <laughs> that sounds very good. I'm not sure about the good. spitting. Maybe I've added the spitting because this is a similar thing with magpies as well, but that's <laughs> completely different. But, but it is that thing. It is yeah. the thing that, that he had surefire hits. Yeah. And, you know, the reason that, you know, Romeo and Juliet or, or, or Maccas or Midsummer Night's Dream, you know, that there are, you know, uh, the, the sort of set piece lovers yeah. scenes in the forest and stuff that you know is going to be the audience sort of winners and the, and the nature of them being uh, what's the word not familiar or you know the, the you know the lovers or whatever that yeah they're all like, yeah they're, they're audience pleasing moments yeah. in that it isn't this elitist posh stuff it's it's audience pleasing yeah. stuff yeah I think it is interesting I feel I mean obviously you realise that a lot of the Shakespeare you. C is conditioned by the GCSE syllabus. So there was this kind of amazing rush of Macbeths about three or four years ago, where, in fact, a bit longer, probably about five years ago, where I just (laughs) felt that there wasn't an evening out where I wasn't watching Macbeth. And and, and that didn't do any of the productions any favours, because obviously in your head, you're not only doing the compare and contrast with everything you've seen in the past, but you're doing the compare and contrast with the production you've seen last week. At the moment, there's the same thing going on with Much Ado About Nothing, which I don't think is on the GCSE syllabus, but is literally everywhere. It's been at the National, it's at the Globe still. They've just opened a production in Sheffield, which has had, um, you know, incredibly uh, good reviews directed by Robert Hasty with Ramps on the Moon, who are a a theatre company for... um, um, all really, so 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 all abilities, all um, uh, neuro abilities as right, well. Right, so right. so so the Beatrice, as I understand it, is autistic, which is actually sort of brilliant. It sounds Beatrice. fantastic. Well, she is. Uh, I yeah. mean, the character, you know. No, well, anyway. No, no, but that's right. You can absolutely see that that is is a reason. Yes. That you would want to, that makes perfect sense to do. Yeah. Uh, much ado about nothing in that way. But there are an awful lot of them around. And I, I do wonder how much that, um, yeah, affects your seeing of the play somehow if, if, if you feel it's everywhere all the time. Well, I suppose then it comes down to interpretation. Yeah. That you're watching, maybe then that's your first port, port of call in terms of what is this production going to show me that I haven't seen before? Oh, yeah, that's interesting. That's how they've done that. You know, and, you know, when you compare that with the way that uh, Jamie Lloyd is doing and taking plays down back to the bare bones or or, um, Ivo Van Ho and, you know, taking things right, right, right down to the sort of very essence of what they are. Interpretation of a very well-known play is the sort of polar opposite of that. Yeah, I don't know if that's fair to say about Beatrice. I feel that... I shouldn't really say that, but I'm, no, but, but you can see it would work. I mean, oh, you can yeah, see it absolutely. would work as a, you know, and it therefore seems kind of um, a stroke of G. And it obviously, from the reviews, it obviously does work. I mean, it worked, yeah. you know, everybody says the production is rich and wonderful and makes you see the play differently. Yeah. And um, there was a production in the RSC last year, which was sort of um, um, 
Afrofuturistic, which oh, again really? made you see it completely differently. And I suppose it comes down to um, the writing to a large extent of uh, those two characters, particularly Beatrice and Benedict. Yes. That they are such rounded characters reacting in such kind of different ways. And that idea that they're really in love, yes. that they're reluctant to admit it, or that they've hurt each other in the past. Yes. I, I mean, the, the, That's always um, sort of whizzed past that yeah. bit, isn't it? The, the production I remember best, in fact, it wasn't whizzed past. So that was um, the Janet McTeer and Mark Ryland's <gasps> production. I didn't see that. And in fact, that's the only production that Icaro, who... My husband, who is Italian, it's the only Shakespeare production that he felt he understood every word of, even though <laughs> Mark Rylands had an incredibly thick Northern Irish accent <laughs> as part of his betrayal because it had a clarity to it. Right. Um, and it was like each beat was sort of marked. Yeah, and that yeah. sense that she'd been betrayed and that he'd led her up the garden path. And that was partly why she was so furious. Yes. Was so sort of cleverly done. Have you had a favourite? Have you seen one that you... Gosh, I've seen so many. I I love it. I do absolutely love it. I remember seeing Matthew McFadden oh, yeah. and Saskia Reeves Cheek by Jowl. Yeah, I think that's... Possibly the night that Southgate missed the penalty. <laughs> I mean, that's going that's back going a bit. That's going a long way. But I think I saw it. Was it on at the Playhouse? Maybe did it transfer to the Playhouse or was it? And and, um, and I remember seeing, being in there and loving it, absolutely loving it. It was, But then at this particular moment of fateful football history, okay. there being a, a very audible roar <laughs> from obviously the television in the green room where yeah. people are going, no! <laughs> you know, and you just sort of think something momentous has happened that is nothing to do with this production. That's it, yeah. But That's I, always brilliant where, they, where you get backstage sad on stage. It happened once with some ballet I was watching and I, I can't remember why, but something happened with the Russian football team <laughs> All the Mariinsky was suddenly going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and that's, I sort of love it for that, really, because it's sort of life and art clashing in, in a live event yeah. in the way that they inevitably do. I saw um, Joe Milson and Tamsin Grieg oh, yes, at the RSC, which I, saw I that. absolutely that. loved. Um, I feel like I've seen it. I mean, I, def I saw the NT Live with Catherine Parkinson and uh, John Heffernan. And and then next weekend I'm going to see to Lucy Globe. Phelps and Ralph Davis. Which um, I think you will enjoy. I mean, yeah. I really enjoyed it. Even with my allergy to the Globe, I kind of sat there and thought, oh, yeah, this is really very, very good and charming and, and, yeah, touching in ways. And actually that does something incredibly clever, which is to make, that, that, to make it really clear that all the... So the household becomes female. So right. the, 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 nor, the father is a mother. And her brother is a sister. So the whole of the household in uh, Messina is female. Right. And that makes the kind of pull of um, masculine values and feminine values really, really clear. So the whole business about um, the, the plot with Claudio, I think, is as well explained as I've seen it in the sense that he is responding to a kind of male imperative, an army imperative. Yes, that, yes. That the, the, the kind of uh, the feminine values of the household don't represent. And I, I thought it was really terrific. I did also see, well, we're on much to do and, and I'll move on, but I did also see the sort of slightly 
famously doomed one, which was Vanessa Redgrave and uh, James Earl Jones, Jones, who were both, um, I think it would be kind of say too old to play the parts. Yeah. And they, it was, everybody was quite excited. It's one of those, you know, sometimes I think theatrical disasters, people misremember. I think running up to it, people were quite excited about yeah, it because yeah. they're both clearly such great actors. Yes, yes. And I think there was a sense that if anybody could pull it off, they could. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's nothing in the play, as in any Shakespeare, to say what age people are by yeah. and large, but it didn't quite work. And one of the problems was actually that people couldn't move enough around the stage. You realise it's quite a... Physical a play. physical play, and yeah. there just wasn't enough movement in it. Every but that's time. an interesting thing, isn't it? The, the, I mean, there is a conversation to be had at another point about the. Na- there is a fashion, you know, for all the right reasons, uh, for taking very well-known people and uh, you know actors and and saying, well, you know, like Judy Dench playing Titania at yeah. the Rose Theatre, yes, right. yeah. and uh, Ian McKellen now uh, playing Hamlet, and Vanessa Redgrave, James Earl Jones, and and I think well, that's really interesting, and I and also when you when you see women taking on the men's parts of yeah. the globe, and whether or not you refer to their age or gender as in any way affecting the nature of how that part is then heard. And I sort of thought, well, no, because it's the same as somebody coming on with the script who wasn't through, you know, you, and I always feel this, and it's probably slightly sacrilegious, really. The nature of, and I had this conversation with quite a well-known person, uh, many, many years ago, who I won't mention his name, but he has a very different take on um, taking your place on a stage and whether or not you have to earn that place by being the character the whole time. Right. So constantly acting. Right. And, and, And I said, quite possibly controversially, but the whole nature of the contract of all those actors taking on those parts and the audience sitting and watching is that we all have a, a part to play. And, the, and, the, and just by being on the stage, you are fulfilling the role that that audience needs you to fulfill in order to complete the circle of the contract of that story happening right. in front of them it's like did i i don't know if i mentioned last time that um that brilliant reunion during covid that was filmed with bill nye and andrew lincoln yeah. and chewy and that and that bill had said this thing which chewy had sort of held on to which was that the nature of just stepping onto the stage with the energy that you had previously as opposed to thinking that you need to change your energy right. in order to stay right. on stage and that sort of taking ownership of the energy that you have naturally rather than controlling or changing that energy for the purposes of the story. And it, and and it is interesting that an audience will invest so much in somebody, as is happening so much at the moment in theatre, people going on with books because COVID yeah. is still very around, That you know, that the audience completely invest in that person because they need him... To complete the circle, right, right. I've sort of gone. So, off topic, so, but. so, do you mean that in that sense that that if you've got too big a leap on the gender um, side, that it's too, it's it doesn't complete the circle? I mean, well, no, it does. I think that's what's so brilliant. Oh, right. Is that that is a premise? Is that we all enter the stage 
with a job to do. And whether or not you it was originally written for a man or right. originally written for a 20-year-old or an 80-year-old or whatever, by virtue of the fact that you're oh, there, there. Yeah. you are fulfilling the role that the audience need you to do. And so then it is just whatever you bring to it. Yeah, I agree with that. I do definitely agree with that. I mean, it's interesting with the Globe because as you talk, I'm thinking, well, it's it's sort of moved over the period that it's been open. It's moved such a long way because Mark Rylands, who ran it so brilliantly at the start, went in with that idea of drawing historically accurate productions and therefore, um, yeah. you know, one of the greatest productions of Twelfth Night, I have, sorry, one of the greatest productions of Much Ado starred him as Benedict. One of the greatest productions of Twelfth Night, I ever saw, starred him as Olivia because oh, he yeah, took, yeah. you know, they were all male cast with um, with men taking women, the women's roles as they would have done. And he was brilliant at that and they, they did do. Whereas, of course, now with Michelle Terry, she's kind of gone completely the opposite way and trying for um, gender equality, essentially, of saying we are just going to put, you know, equal numbers of men and women on stage. And sometimes that were in my it works brilliantly. And actually, this production of Much Ado is one where not only does it work brilliantly, but it actually casts the play in a new light, which I, I thought was sort of doubly clever, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm quite happy to accept, you know, men playing women's parts, women playing men's parts. But sometimes you also get the added bonus yeah. of, of a kind of directorial concept, which suddenly makes... Um, brilliant sense yeah and I I think um and I and and then it proves that much to do is a play that you can in fact yeah put lots of different concepts on top of and that it works enormously well really and the one at the RSC um which was last year I mean that had got that had got a certain amount of um, gender swapping as well and particularly with the commander Don Ped uh, Don Pedro yeah. was a Don Pedra and was a woman, and that worked brilliantly. Yeah, Nobody yeah. made any sort of. Um, it was just there. She was just a woman. She was brilliant, and that was it. I, I didn't sort of alter how you read the play, but it did just alter the the feel of it, really. See, um, I think that's brilliant, particularly when you think of the the. I think there's a slight controversy that, again, is never really referred to when Don Pedro woos Hero oh, yeah. on behalf of Claudia. So if it's Don Pedra, yeah. that's sort of rather lovely. Yeah. As well. I, the other one I saw, completely forgot, suddenly remembered, Simon Russell Beale and Zoe Wanamaker at the National. Oh, yes, which I Which is brilliant. That, yeah, yeah. And the other thing I noticed, which is which I found slightly annoying that I'd never noticed before, is that the physical comedy of uh, Benedict, overhearing yeah. comes before the physical comedy of Beatrice overhearing. Yeah. So then you have this thing as a director, as a company, as a you know producer of that particular production. Do you up the physical comedy with Beatrice? Do you yeah. repeat? Yeah. What do you do? I mean, and I think it's a, it's a real pain in the bum yeah. that Beatrice goes second yeah, yeah. with I her physical true. comedy you know and that you, when they did it at the National I suddenly remembered that you know it was the whole thing of they had a pool on stage and that who falls in the pool overhearing who doesn't fall in the pool is it going to happen again oh and it's happened again you know and the whole thing of how Catherine Parkinson or John Heffernan chose to hide from you know, the, what they were overhearing about the other one being in love with them and da da da. Hey, well, it is annoying, isn't yeah, it? I mean, it's, it's just it's so annoying. annoying and I just suddenly got it really at all. Oh. I, I, I always think that is one of the moments where you think that 
Um, you know, that is Shakespeare writing for audiences, isn't it? Because it's just, oh, that works, so let's do it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. What I slightly feel, just to move things on a bit, though, is um, to, before we, knowing that we're going to talk about Much Ado a bit, um, I went through my alphabetized program folders, <laughs> which <laughs> I know you were very excited to see. <laughs> And um, which are one of the the proudest things in my life. I have every programme I have ever collected from being, oh, from going to the Princess and Swineherd in Manchester when I was six. Oh, my lordy. To now, more or less, in alphabetised boxes. Dance has a separate category. So dance has a uh, is alphabetized by both company and title. That is hilarious. Do you have then, a color coded guide, or do you know well, where everything actually, is? Well, actually, I might have to build one because the other day, <laughs> the, the, about two years ago, the boxes. In fact, during COVID, the boxes were so were sort of bulging that um, I had to do a culling exercise, but I didn't want to throw anything away. So I'd thrown the outer edges of some programs away and kept just the cast sheets. Right. Whereas the one, the programs I've really liked and loved, I've kept intact. And there will be a, there will be a desperate moment where I'd have to move house. Yeah. And I always think when anyone says, oh, you know, it's terrible. I always say, I use them, I use them, which is not actually strictly true. But today I did use them. And just going through um, M, one box of three, it was really interesting because in the first box, I pulled out six programmes for Much Ado About Nothing. Amazing. And one for Mary Wives of Windsor. Yeah. And I think... I do think that's not unreflective of, you know, how popular certain plays are. And yet the programme I pulled out for Mary Wives of Windsor was one of the defining productions of my life. So it was Bill Alexander's production at Stratford in, I think, 1985 or maybe 87. Right. Certainly in the late 80s. And um, it was a special production, I know from my programme, in um, aid of an Ethiopian relief effort. So yeah. that actually dates it a bit. Um, and I went with my mum. Yeah. And um, we neither of us had really, I don't quite know why we went, because we didn't have particularly high expectations of Mary yes, Wives of Windsor, yes. which is a play you never see and which is always judged not to be funny. Yeah. Because it's, um, you know, it was supposedly, though I think this has now been debunked, Shakespeare wrote it because Queen Elizabeth said she wanted to see more of John Falstaff, who had appeared in Henry Fourth Parts 1 and 2, yeah. and she wanted to see him in a comic role and so it's always regarded as sort of one of the plays that Shakespeare just threw off and actually isn't particularly good it doesn't have many really famous scenes you know I would think if we went out into the street and we said Mary Wives of Windsor people would absolutely you know they'd think it was about Elizabeth II yeah, yeah. <laughs> highly unlikely to think it's yeah, yeah. Shakespeare I doubt people could tell you the plot I can barely tell you the plot yet this production yeah Set in the 1950s, yeah, with Nikki Henson climbing up the boxes of the old RSC theatre, yeah, was one of the funniest and most joyous things I've ever seen in my life. Oh, how lovely! And it was just amazing. And that kind of makes me, it does make me long for directors to rummage a bit more and go, Oh, I've really got an idea about what yeah, I want to yeah. do with X, yes. 
I yeah. I mean, Joe did it in the late nineties with Leslie Phillips, oh, Edward Pethbridge, Ian Judge directed it. Uh, Joe McCollum and Susanna York. Uh, I can't remember who else was in it. Joe Stone Furings. Um, but he he absolutely loved it, yeah. and that was a fantastic production. Yeah, I can imagine Leslie Phillips was absolutely fabulous. Yeah, as, uh, I mean, I'd love to have a go. Well. I didn't really know the story. We were going through it yesterday, talking about it, because I sort of suddenly thought, I need to know more about all these seasons that you've done, because he did so many. Yeah. And and absolutely loves it, and actually was very got really emotional about doing because he did King John at the Globe. Right. I've never worked there, but he he just got he was just like I love it, I love yeah, it, I just want yeah. to do more. And, and it is hard. I think that's one of the things that's going to happen more and more for theatres. That you know, it's hard to say, oh, we're going to do Pericles, or yeah, we're going yeah. to do Timon of Athens, yeah, or we're yeah. going to do King John. Gosh, yeah, or Henry the Eighth, which the Globe did have a go at, not hugely um, successfully, I think, in terms of audiences this yes. year. And you can sort of totally understand yes. why um, theatres are a bit reluctant to go outside the main, um, you know, kind of canon and, and dig yeah. around a bit. And the plays aren't as good, the MRIs probably, but they have bits that are just extraordinary. In them. I mean, I think that's true of all of them, though. You know, I always think... You know, that that I think it's always good to have half an eye on the imperfections of Shakespeare. Yeah. And I don't mean this in any way insulting. I mean, having done a fair amount, um, I love it. And and it's like a tonic. You know, it's like you, you're sort of acting TCP. If you sort of cut yourself on various other attempts and you come back and you get your Shakespeare TCP going, oh, yeah, OK. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, but actually that... You know, that even having done Twelfth Night and everybody sort of said, oh, my God, it's just such a perfect play. And you think, and I'm sure I've said this before, well, there are scenes that you forget. Yeah. And I think that you, equally the same is true. There are brilliant things about the lesser known yeah. Shakespeare's that you forget are oh, just there. gorgeous. Yeah. And, and actually, I think when Emma Rice was doing... And she turned Cymbeline into Imogen. Oh, yes. And I think, you know, that they warrant a bit of shaking about yeah. and even with um the much ado that Catherine Parkinson and John Heft did they added in a sonnet for Hero to speak right. at, at oh point. yeah that which is such a good idea because yeah. she doesn't talk enough and they she? muck about with it yeah. and actually Stefano in the uh Tempest uh this weekend you know he was mucking about with it and at one point they put on all this Harry Potter stuff and they stopped mucking about with doing Harry Potter spells you know, which, you know, which sort of, again, is irreverent given that there's a sort of streak of magic within Prospero's yeah. speak. And all of that is, you know, muck about with them. I think, yeah. you know, the reason that there are so many folios is because the players went on the road and they mucked about with them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what they, they stand up to it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'd love to have a, a go at Mary Wise and, and just sort of... And also sometimes it's good to remind yourself with the lost plays, you think... This is a really good attempt, and and also I know why it got lost. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Which is not true of Shakespeare, yeah, but sort of. Yeah. Ma and, it, and they do and go on, but I just yeah, I think it is just that case that I, I just yeah, it's not that you don't see that. I suppose when you do see them as well, you really um, they stand out. You know, yeah. so like um, Nick Heitner's Julius Caesar, for example, again yeah. play not done that much play with all kinds of complications yeah yeah and quite a lot of scenes that don't entirely work play you know radically lacking women yeah, yeah. um 
but he pulled it off and people do, you know, people again um, talk about that as being one of the kind of defining productions that they've seen in the last few years. And I think if you can kind of make them different, then they do stand out. Yeah. Certainly, I would love to see um, A Merry Wives again, just to see, you know, what it's like, and yeah. how it stands out, whether you can do it. And I feel I quite like there has recently been and I miss there has been a time of Athens Simon Russell Beale did it, the National. He did. That's the last one I saw. Yeah. But there's been one in, um, I, I don't know, I might not even be in this country, but I've read about it with a female, Timon, which sounds Ooh. quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I do just, I, but I, I know that as I speak, that I'm not speaking on behalf of your children who yeah. are, you know, or, 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 or a lot of theatre goers who are essentially seeing these things for the first time and are yeah. excited to see them for the first time. But I would be sorry if a kind of nervousness about what people are willing to try yeah. did restrict the Shakespeare's um, we saw. I would be sorry if that you, you know, I do like uh, uh, much to do about nothing yeah. more than as you like it. Yeah. But then Adrian Lester's as you like it, where he was the most beautiful and kind of poignant Rosalind was one of the again you know one yeah, of the great yeah. experiences of my life The Winter's Tale is really problematic but it yeah. doesn't really Whole get of done no. Whole, and I yeah and but it is a beautiful beautiful play beautiful play full of beautiful things yeah and I was trying to work out whether you could do two gents with two like ladette women <laughs> quite funny or I'd quite like if I I don't think I can. I was chatting to my friend who's a bit of a Shakespeare expert about all this, whether you could make two older women who are sort of buoyed up on HRT and let loose on the <laughs> town. Let loose on the town in two chats. Well, I could do two sort of hormone replacement therapy ladettes. Well, I could on... watch it. I mean, certainly, certainly it would be different. You know? And I think that is the thing that, especially if you are going to just kind of reinterpret the canon and let it be the whole thing, it yeah. would just be... It will be good fun. But you see, two gents, I, I'm not even sure I've ever seen. And, you know, I've read it. I know, I know but I'm not sure I've ever seen it. Will Keane and Jasper Britton did it at the Globe years and years ago, which I wanted to see. That was supposed to be a very, very lovely production. Yeah. And um, I get, yeah, it doesn't get... Comedy of Errors hasn't been done for a while, unless yeah. I mm, yeah, no, remember I that. That's right. Could you do that with four women? Mm, interesting thought. I don't know. Questions worth throwing out there. I know. Anyhow, that I think is kind of a good place to stop really. Yeah. Now we've gone <laughs> completely wild. It seems a good moment to pull to a close this um, episode of As the Actress Says to the Critic. So it's goodbye from me, Sarah Crompton, the critic. And goodbye from me, Nancy Carroll, the actress. <laughs>